All right, welcome everyone to episode 11 of Blue Jays Happy Hour Live. Uh, we are coming to you after a ball game that had a lot, a lot happening in it, a lot in various different directions. We had a Kevin Gosman start where he seemed to be, you know, tipping his pitches, however you want to put that. They were really on his splitter, which is tough. Uh, he's not designed to be a one pitch pitcher. Um, things don't go well when that happens. Uh, you know, he actually survived admirably well at times, but ultimately, um, a tough outing for him had to lean on the bullpen and then in a little rally at the end. But I think the fir- perfect place to start is quite literally the first inning where the Toronto Blue Jays uh, <laughs> outfielders opted to not wear sunglasses, which was a choice, an interesting one as it turned out, uh, because they had two pop-ups that they completely blew, which cost them at least two runs, possibly three, depending on what kind of accounting you want to do. Uh, a bit of a flashback to the Derek Fisher moment, actually, with uh, the Teoscar Hernandez. A little <laughs> bit safer for him, luckily. Um, but, yeah, what did you make of that? I mean, it's kind of a bewildering thing. It, it didn't seem like there were massive weather changes throughout the day that would necessitate you deciding that it was the right idea and the wrong idea. And I don't know. We can zero in on the sunglasses too much, but it's such it's so weird for this totally non-baseball thing to seemingly play a major role in the outcome of a game like this. Yeah, it is. It's odd. I mean, I saw somebody calling for Charlie's head because of it, which is uh, extremely funny as though the players don't have any, uh, don't bear any responsibility for, for that. Uh, but it is weird you know, the whole team, you know, don't, didn't seem like anybody had them. Obviously those two guys who were the crucial ones, Vlad and Teoscar didn't have the sunglasses on. Um, and, you know, I don't know, better uh, <laughs> safe than sorry is kind of like where I might look, fall down on that spectrum of like, should you just put your sunglasses on top of your hat and see whether, you know, you're going to have a problem out there? Um, yeah, it was, uh, you know, I, I, I don't like the, I don't like, you know, people always be like, stuff is inexcusable or, you know, you know that can't happen. It's like, well, it can. And, uh, you know, I don't know. What I could, but that really shouldn't happen. Like, that's that that's just, uh, you know, Little League kind of stuff. And uh, and really kind of cost them in the end. I mean, you never know where the game could go. You know, it's the butterfly effect, obviously. But uh, those runs really probably shouldn't have been on the board. Yeah, and it, early in the game, I think it especially seemed like it was going to affect the outcome because of the way it changed the shape of Gosman's outing, right? Because yeah. he could have been out of that inning relatively quickly. And then at that point, we didn't realize sort of how much the Twins were on his pitchers, his pitches, specifically his splitter. So you kind of thought, oh, wow, like this is costing Gosman sort of 15 pitches, which is probably an inning. And that affects the relievers you have to use. And there's sort of a knock-on, like you say, butterfly effect of that. And yeah, and I do recall the relievers they eventually used uh, probably could have used better ones had, they, uh, had we known yeah, not, what would happen in the end. Not great. Uh, but I, I did see some people criticizing that. That always seems silly. It's always kind of revisionist history where they do make a bit of a comeback. And you're like, well, why didn't they keep it close by using their best relievers? And you, you can't do that because you'll be using your best relievers every single day and you're going to run them into the ground. Like it was a low leverage situation. It was the right time to use Vasquez and Beasley and these guys. <laughs> It'd be nice if they be had the better roster. low leverage relievers, right? Like that's that's kind of a thing, but... Yeah, that's what they're for. Um, the Gosman thing, though, that, you know, that kind of, I don't know, it was probably perhaps the most dominant thing affecting the shape of this ball game. And we've seen Gosman before in that Mariners start have something similar happen where it just seemed like guys were able to lay off the splitter consistently. And that's so weird 
just because, you know, for most of the season, Gosman is literally the guy that people chase more than any other pitcher in baseball. So sometimes when this happens, guys are just hitting well. Uh, and it's a bit silly to be like, oh, they must have something on them. There's no possible other explanation. But in Gosman's case, like we're literally talking about statistically the guy who people chase the most in the entire game and his splitter in particular being, you know, 60% chased outside the strike zone. So when you see the type of things we saw in this game, uh, it seems pretty clear that there was something going on. Yeah, I, I think definitely. I, I, and I, I, you know, I think we were fortunate to have Joe Siddle on the broadcast, Dan Schulman, great as well, but, you know, was, was on top of that stuff. And that's, you know, a, a you know, one of his strengths is, is picking up on stuff like that and, and getting into the nuts and bolts. And that was, uh, that made it a really entertaining, interesting broadcast, even as, you know, things were unraveling and it was, it was kind of dicey because I, I think as he correctly assessed, uh, Gossman basically was going out there with one pitch. You know, he doesn't really use the slider or the changeup uh, uh, nearly as much. He's really, I think it's 85%. He'll either throw the fastball or the, the splitter. Um, and yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know if it's, and this is what they talked about on the broadcast. You know, is it is it something that the hitter themselves are, is picking up? Like I went through, you know, the entire first inning, like bat, bat by bat, and, and I think it was ten swings on twelve fastballs and and two swings on twelve splitters, which is you know wildly divergent from what the uh, what Gosman's normal percentage are. And, that, and that's when guys, that's when runners were on base. So I don't know if if somebody's being able to see something from the side, what it is. Um, but yeah, as they, as they made clear, you know, Dan and, and, and Joe throughout, you know, that's just, that's obviously something that they're going to have to, uh, uh, work on in the five days between starts. Right. So, uh, weird and, and remarkable of him to have done as well as he did, especially because the twins were kind of gifted those runs as well, because he had to get five minutes in the first inning. Yeah, I think there's a lot that you can look at with this outing that is vaguely encouraging in the sense that his velocity was great, you know, as Mm -hmm. good as we've seen this season. He was asked to function as a fastball-only pitcher. That's not his game. His fastball is maybe good, and that might be a stretch, to be honest. Like he well, maybe hit 98 at one point, but... but yeah, yeah. In, in terms of effectiveness and the way guys make right. contact against it, it's not... Yeah, in terms of pure velocity, it's pretty good. But, you know, it's fairly straight, right. and he, you know, he kind of pounds his own with it to get ahead so that he can use that splitter, and he's willing to give up a few hits in order to make that happen. Uh, this was an extreme version of that. Clearly, I do want to give them some credit because they identified early in this game that the splitter just wasn't something they could use. Uh, I think in a lot of these situations, guys can be a little bit stubborn and say, like, this is what I'm good with. This is what makes me who I am. Like, I'm going to live and die with this pitch. And basically, after the first inning, they sprinkled it in exceedingly rarely. But they said, "Okay, you're a fastball guy and you're going to throw a few sliders and we're going to see what we can do here. But we're not going to be stubborn and say, you know, even if you know this is coming or even if you have something on this pitch, we're going to forge ahead with it. Yeah, no, I think that was definitely smart of them. And, and no, it's a it's a huge credit to, to Gosman. Uh, he, you know, he he really wore the sunglasses for all of them today. <laughs> he got it out. The defense <laughs> behind him. As yeah, we alluded to also, it's been an issue all year. Like, you know, watching Gosman closely, he's got that big BABIP against. And a lot of that is what I described before. He really pounds his own with fastballs and he's willing to give up a hit here and there in order to stay ahead of guys in the count all the time. So there's always some aspect of that. But uh, I think it was Mike Petriello was tweeting out this list of pitchers who yes. had the worst defense played behind them. 
And coming into this game, they estimated that Gosman had negative five runs uh, worth of defense played behind him. Um, and everyone else on the Blue Jays, I saw the next lowest was minus one. And most of the guys were in the positive. So it's just sort of this freak event. Like, there's nothing about Kevin Gosman that is going to make people not be good fielders. Like, I think that's pretty clear. I know that sometimes you hear, you know, pitchers who work slowly or, or the, the inverse, that pitchers who work quickly help their defense stay engaged, yada, yada, yada. Gosman's not really an outlier any in any way, shape, or form. I guess maybe sometimes he strikes so many guys out, fielders could get bored. But realistically, it's this freak thing that's happening to him. Uh, and it's a bit of a shame because it is kind of obscuring. And again, this is a weird day to say that because he clearly didn't have his stuff working and it wasn't a good outing. But it's obscuring a little bit how great a season he's had. Like if you go to the you know, they go to the fan graphs uh, leaderboards, he's not first in war for pitchers by far. And we can debate like Fangraphs war, baseball reference war, and what's the best one. But even if we agree it's somewhere in between, like he's been one of the very best pitchers in the league, but his ERA doesn't reflect that in part because uh, he's had a lot of misfortune behind him. Yeah, I, I think you're right. And I think that was a really interesting list. I saw you you tweeted about that as well. Something that struck me, I mean, this is sort of a tangent. I don't know, I don't know how this factors into it, or, but because uh, uh, I went to the game on Thursday, uh, which was very entertaining. And I, I sat like uh, you know, 10, 10 rows up from first base, uh, Props to my props.cash friends. That's not a that's not a plug. I did not get paid for that one. Uh, but uh, uh, I hadn't really sat there and that close um, probably since 2019. I've been to a few games, you know, last year. Uh, I know I was at one earlier this year, but uh, it really struck me two things. One was just the just the size of, of Alejandro Kirk. Uh, I don't know if I'd really ever seen him up that like that close. Uh, which just adds another another dimension, which I, you know everybody knows, but it just you don't get the same sense on TV or even from you know the five hundreds or farther away. Uh, what a what a uniquely shaped baseball player this guy is, uh, but also just how deep the outfielders are playing nowadays, uh, which is you know they don't they don't mind so much about singles, and that's sort of what you were saying about Gosman, you know, just pounding his own and not worrying too much about uh, about that because he can he he's getting guys to chase all over the place, you know, it's really it's really extra base hits that that. that uh, are the bigger concern and that we see that also in the way that the Jays will use the four outfielder uh, set up and, and stuff like that. So I, I thought that was sort of, sort of interesting. I don't know how that factors into, you know, whatever the, the formulas and algorithms say about, uh, you know, what the outs above average and everything are, but that's, uh, you know, yeah, I, I think that that's, that's part of his game maybe a little bit or part of or something that the Jays will allow in his game a little bit just to, uh, to help minimize the damage. Well, we, we saw that with George Springer's huge, play today right? yeah like if he wasn't playing deep that was an absolute rocket and he yeah. had no time to really move laterally like he got back and it was a heck of a play and you know the double play and that looked like a possible momentum shift and it didn't quite materialize at least not for a few more innings but if Springer is playing sort of in yeah there's not much chance and I know you don't play in against Gary Sanchez necessarily but if he's playing kind of at the level we're more used to seeing outfielders play, then it's tricky. And it's something that teams have gone back and forth on. Like I remember sort of early in the StatCast era, um, which I hate the phrase in the StatCast era, so I'm sorry that I just used it. Um, <laughs> but whatever. In the mid-2010s, there was a lot of chatter of like, oh, the really great outfielders play in because they're fast and they can go back and there's so many singles to swallow up. Uh, for every double, yada, yada, yada. And that's probably changed over time just because of the way people put the ball in play now and the way people emphasize power a little bit more. Like, you know, 
the game is in some ways, you know, they're very consistent with keeping the rules and the history and whatnot, but because of the ball and because of the way players are adapting, it's changing so quickly that that may have been the right thing to do then and isn't the right thing to do now, but it is something that uh, is consistently in flux of like, where's the best way uh, to position your players and specifically the outfield. Yeah, no, uh, I think you're right. Oh, well, while we have a, I, I will have another topic, I think, because this game was crazy. Um, just let everybody know. I encourage everybody. You can give us a call if you like. You can drop a question in the chat. I'll double check right now if there's anybody who's left one for me on Twitter. Perhaps not. Uh, perhaps everybody tuned out before that game got exciting again at the end. Uh, but yeah, it, it, it was uh, it was a good performance from Kevin Gosman. It was a nice performance from the Twins pitchers, I guess. Um, Springer and Alejandro Kirk keep hitting. Um, everybody else to a lesser degree different version of that game where they're able to get guys on base before all these home runs yes I mentioned uh, I tweeted about it but like the sequencing in this game was kind of brutal for the Blue Jays until the end because they'd hit a home run and then they'd get men on base afterwards Uh, and if that had been inverted in any way I think it would have been a different story and then you're in it earlier and then that affects the relievers you use. And there's a lot, you know, like you said, it's, it kind of, it can roll downhill a little bit and it seemed to be rolling away from the Blue Jays in this one. Uh, one thing while we were kind of on the topic of defense and Gosman, I did want to give a bit of a shout out to some of the defensive plays the Blue Jays made today. Like sure. the story is, you know, the Blue Jays bad defense put them in a hole and that ended up being potentially the difference in the game. And we shouldn't lose sight of that. Like that first inning, I know, was painful for a lot of people who are listening to this podcast. Um, But when you think about that Springer play, that Matt Chapman play was ridiculous. Like potentially even a better play. Uh, You know, Vladdy made a really nice play as well. And this Oscar have two Oscar multiple assists. Yeah, which you know he's he can throw the ball a little bit, not like Guriel, but he's always put up sort of higher assist totals than you'd imagine. It is weird that all of these positive things can happen. And yet, you know, bad defense is the story of the day. Like I said, at the top of the podcast, it just felt like a lot happened today. So good things and bad things and everything in between happened. But, uh, you know, for Chapman in particular, Chapman and Springer, these felt, this felt like the type of game that shows off how impactful they can be. Like, you know, we talk about Vladdy and Bo as sort of the face of the franchise uh, for good reason. Although I'd say Springer's probably been their best, most consistent player over the course of the year. I mean, Alejandro Kirk is on his way to taking that title maybe, but uh, true, Kirk is <laughs> give on his way. Time. The, the, uh, the Alejandro Kirk all-star train left the station today, which is interesting. We can get Thanks. back to that. But Vladdy and Bo, you know, Bo has a couple nice defensive highlights here and there, but you don't see as many games where they make massive contributions on both sides of the ball. And we saw Chapman have a really good day at the plate. Springer obviously having that amazing home run. And it's kind of a reminder that some of these players who play, whether they play a more premium position defensively than a Vladdy does, or whether they're just very good at the position they play, uh, the ceiling it can be a little bit higher for what they can accomplish in a game or over the course of a month or a week or whatever. You know, there's a reason Mike Trout, you know, led the league in war every year for however many years, because when you're in center field, there's just more opportunity to impact the game than even the best hitters have. Yeah, and I think Chapman's a great example of that too, right? Like he was a league average hitter last year, was four win player, and and this year, you know, obviously like today, that's a great example of of you know the value that he brings because you know not, I mean, <laughs> I mean, Vladdy's not really third baseman at, at all at this point, but you know, Vladdy's not making that play most likely. 
Um, and most, you know, most third basemen aren't. And, uh, and, and his, I think his defensive metrics this year have not necessarily, uh, looked as good as in years past. I know that if you look at his, uh, uh, his baseball savant, like the, the percentile ranks, like outs above average is, is not where you would necessarily expect it to be. Uh, but also like a bunch of hard hit stuff is all kind of uh, not as, you know, it looks better than what the results have been. And so it was nice to see him get a home run. Nice to see that um, balls sort of flying out of the ballpark a little bit more. Um, I don't know if you saw that tweet. It was like, what is it? Ballpark pal or something like that uh, was doing like a seven day rolling average of like the, the, uh, home run totals per day versus expected. And it, you know, it's still well, it's still below 2019 and, uh, and, and 2021, but there was just a very noticeable uh, jump towards like more towards the expected amount uh, in mid May at some point, which is sort of around where the Jays uh, uh, began to turn around a little bit offensively. Uh, And a team sort of built like the Jays might be ones that would benefit from, uh, from there not being a dead ball. Uh, which I think is kind of interesting, but yeah, Chapman is we've talked about has been a guy who's been a bit snake bitten and perhaps a victim of the dead ball, and, and uh, yeah, he could be he could be a lot better than he has I think offensively, and yet like we're like as I began saying like he is still a positive WAR player, like he's still a very good player even if he's you know I don't I'm, I don't want him to hit eighty weighted runs created plus, but you know uh, he's he's real good he he can contribute a lot and can you know. Uh, put a lot of positive contributions in a very short amount of time if he starts really hitting. Yeah, I mean, his weighted run created plus is up to 97 after today. It just kind of shows, like, we are still early in the season, and a big day can affect these things so much. Like, that's almost a 10-point gain for him. You know, if he has another nice day, he's kind of up around league average, and you hope to see more from him than league average, but, you know, they, they'll live with that any day of the week. Realistically, he'll be a very good player for them if he's a league average hitter. As you said, he's been a little bit snake, but I did see that graph that got tweeted out. Um, it is weird that baseball has kind of opened up itself to the conspiracy theory crowd, except yeah. the conspiracy <laughs> theorists are very much right in many of these cases. Because... And often scientists. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's, it's a very pro-science uh, branch of conspiracy theories about how the balls are being used. Uh, and how they've changed. And we've seen, we've seen multiple seasons where the ball has changed midstream and it's had a massive effect on the play on the field. Now, in a, in theory, like you and I can sit here and be a little bit outraged about that. Like it's insane that kind of the rules and environment isn't changing on the fly. Like that should not happen at a pro sports league with this much money on the line and this many eyeballs and whatnot. It's pretty ridiculous in a sense. On the flip side of that, uh, I think you and I and everyone else wants to see more offense. Like the depressed <laughs> offense early in 2022 has not helped the product on the field. So when we see this thing happen, we're just like, wow, it seems like there's a decent chance the balls have changed here. Uh, it is weird to kind of accept that for the good of the product, even though it's sort of insane that it's happening at all. Uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, maybe they were just showing, teaching us a lesson. It's like, oh yeah, you you want more balls uh, balls in play? Well, we'll take away a bunch of your home runs and see how much you like that. Uh, but also, it's so weird because of you know I don't know if anybody's noticed, but uh, they they talk about gambling a lot in sports now, and <laughs> have that sort of going on when this like the these new partnerships are being forged and where that's becoming such an important revenue stream all over the place. Um, I, don't, I, I believe the, the the gamblers probably out there probably uh, would prefer there not to be this bizarre variable like that. 
Yeah, definitely. We have Joe has just popped in for a call, so why don't we take Joe's call here? Yeah, let's do that. Hey, guys. I just wanted to really, like, give a, like, tell you how happy I am to see Alejandro Kirk hitting well. In that first month, it was it was really frustrating because we hadn't really seen him play badly in basically his whole up career up to that point, but now he's really been amazing. Yeah, it, it's been something else. Uh, uh, thank you, Joe. Like, uh, Yeah, it's, uh, you know, we all, he hits the ball hard. We always knew it. Like, the power sort of, again, sort of has appeared a little bit coincidentally with uh, perhaps a change in the ball, which uh, I'm not complaining about. But yeah, it, it was weird at the start with the lack of extra base hits. And you could just tell that he was sort of in between maybe, or, you know, he would, he, he still has such great, great like plate discipline, plate coverage, uh, still so hard to strike out, but he was just swinging at balls that were not, you know, not, not ones that you couldn't, you can't make good contact on. And, and we were seeing a lot of that. Uh, and now he is, he's just a little more locked in and, uh, and the all-star talk, uh, is completely valid. I mean, you know, it's, I was going to say, you know, it's, a, it's, a, the, the bar is low for that position, but like he's, he'd be, he could be an all-star with those kind of numbers at a number of positions, given the way that he's also, you know, improved as a framer, I think too. Yeah, he, he's been the best hitting catcher in the American League, and uh, that's a weird thing to say. I remember prior to the season, I wrote a piece about how I felt like Alejandro Kirk was kind of the best breakout candidate on the Blue Jays from an offensive perspective. Like we can't, First of all, the other guys largely had set very high bars themselves, but also we sort of knew what they were about, and Kirk still hadn't had that many bats to the MLB level. There was some really good underlying stuff. And at the beginning of the season, and he just couldn't buy an extra base hit. I was like, "Oh man, I this is I'm not feeling great about this call." And he's come around in an amazing way. And it is, you know, it's his ability to make contact, his ability to draw walks, which isn't you know something the Blue Jays have had that much success with until recently. Uh, and the defensive transformation, like it, it's it's the framing, it's the blocking. He's not letting balls get by him, and he's actually, especially recently, thrown the ball relatively well. Like he, I think his Caught stealing rate is 32% against a league-wide average of 23. I don't think that's really going to keep up. He doesn't have a huge arm. That's never been part of his profile. But, you know, you could nitpick the fact that he plays DH a fair amount. Uh, there's things you could prod at and say, I don't know, is this going to keep up? I mean, it's this level is insane, so it won't. Right. Uh, <laughs> he, uh, he may not be a 260 uh, Wade Rose Creative Plus guy. Yeah. For, yeah. <laughs> but he, yeah, he's an absolutely a valid candidate at a position that really lacks stars right now. And the Blue Jays have three good young catchers, and, you know, basically no one else in the league has one. Like it, we've talked about it a lot on this show, but it's worth talking about because it's it's a crazy problem to have, and it's a bizarre situation, especially. For you know us looking back at all the horrors that have been the Blue Jays' catcher of the future over the last a little while, like it took bringing in Russell Martin to really solve that position. It is a interesting position they're in, and it, it's crazy to see multiple catchers in the lineup on a consistent basis, and another guy knocking on the door in AAA. Yeah, uh, and uh, I got I got pushback when I tweeted last night, and he might be the third best in the org, which. Uh... Understandable. Everybody's all, uh, you know, on, on the on the locomotive Kirk train, uh, as it were, right now. Uh, I still think that's possible. I mean, Danny Bats 
I think this is why my follow-up was, you know, I need to see a few hundred more plate appearances of Danny Batts uh, uh, parking balls on the, the left field fence. But uh, but that's genuinely possible. Kirk is the third best, uh, you know, long-term. I don't know that I agree with that. I don't know that I would, you know, stake my house on it. But uh, it's theoretically possible because, I mean, Danny Jansen has a lot to, to bring to the table as well. And it wasn't that long ago that we were all sort of in awe of him. And I think that for a very long time, the Blue Jays themselves have felt that Moreno is, is, is the cream of the crop there. So, yeah, it's a, it, it, they're, they, they're going to have a decision to make because I, I don't think that's how a team should construct its roster. It's just not an efficient use of a roster spot uh, of, of, you know, to have three catchers up uh, and not being able to use them. I mean, you, can, uh, you should be able to move one of those guys for something really good, which uh, will be a shame. It will be a shame to see one of them playing somewhere else. But that's also something, you know, coming into the season, we talked about this, but it was very theoretical. And the idea is like, you know, what yeah. do you get for Danny Jansen? Well, I don't know. Like his bat is largely been below average for the vast majority of his career. The Blue Jays as a franchise seem to maybe like him more than he would be valued across the game. Do other teams see him as a starter? Like all those were legitimate questions. And then Kirk, it was kind of the same thing. Like, is he more of a DH than a catcher? Is he someone that another team is going to pay up, you know, significantly for with the eyes of making him, you know, this very unusually built weird profile guy, kind of their catch of the future and, you know, give a good veteran player for, and that, you know, seemed a little bit questionable as well. And now if you're going out to shop these catchers, you're going to get something good. And that's not something that we would have been confident about coming into the season. No, I think that's true. Joe, you got anything else, man? Well, whatever happens with the catching situation, I really would love to see Alejandro Kirk at the All-Star game. I feel like seeing him like smiling on the sidelines during the home run derby and, you know, hugging a bunch of other players in the league, I think that would be a really fun scene for him. I think you're right. I mean, he's a fun guy. He's a, he's an easy guy to cheer for. He's just such a unicorn and 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 yeah, it's uh uh, yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm 100% with you. I think that would be great. I'd like to see him wear that Bichette hair to the all <laughs> he's, he's somebody who I don't know if his pro – I mean, I know for sure this profile probably doesn't reflect his talent around the game and nationally and south of the border, however you want to put it. And he is someone I could see, you know, were this all-star thing to happen. And we are talking at, about him at the peak of his performance, right? So we always yeah. have to be careful of being like – getting too excited about guys like right when they're in the middle of their hottest streak or whatever. But were that to come to pass, he's someone who, you know, partly because he's so easily identifiable and such a unicorn, as you said, Stoughton, that could gain a lot of traction throughout baseball from kind of, yeah, non-Blue Jays baseball fans, some of whom I'm sure have seen the good word about him. Uh, But that would be a hell of a launching point for him in terms of sort of drumming up fans around the league. And I think they'd be drawn to him right away. I think that's 100% true. I think that that it would be a coming up party for him, for sure. I think, you know, I mean, you know, Yankees fans, Red Sox, they'll they'll see him, but not in the same way, not in the way of like the context of an all-star game. Um, And yeah, I think he could be like the star of an all-star game if he went there. Um, I mean, we're getting we're getting ahead of ourselves a little bit here, but. Uh, but no, he's a, like I say, he's an easy, easy guy to like for sure. Yeah. And the yeah. all-star game is coming up here. So you would hope that if he plays well for one more month, he would be able to get in. Right. I think so. I mean, voting starts like this next week, I think. 
uh, or this week, depending on how you feel about whether Sunday or Monday is the first day of the week. Uh, Joe, thank you so much. Appreciate you. Yeah. Uh, call us anytime. And anybody else, uh, you all can uh, you all can call as well. We do have a question in the chat or a comment, which is uh, is what I'm happy to run with, which is from CR Stripes Three, who says, "I think I remember in either 2015 or 16, a former member of the Jays put a stop to wearing the red jerseys on Sundays uh, because of the record they had in those games." Whoever that was was onto something. It seems, uh, yeah. I, I mean, I am I, I am a long time disparager of the red jerseys for a team called the Blue Jays, and I know I know we play in Canada, and the flag has the red in it. But uh, I, I, I just I don't know. I kind of have my my thing is it's okay. You don't you don't need to, you don't need to do that. You don't need to you don't need to force the the. The the stars and stripes over every team's logo. If it looks stupid, if the if the Cleveland one looks extraordinarily problematic, you know you don't have to do that. Uh, it's okay to not have a red a red shirt for Canada Day uh, or literally any other day because uh, it's you're the Blue Jays and it's weird. Yeah, I mean I'm largely in that camp. I don't think there's a need to be overly nationalistic uh, with your choice of baseball uniform. Uh, unless you're participating in some kind of international competition. So, yeah, the team is called the Blue Jays. I think part of it is that just the jerseys don't look good. Like, just literally, objectively, <laughs> they don't look good. Like, if they had a really cool red jersey that looked great and it had more – like, it needs more blue on it, right? Like, if it was a red Canada Day jersey but it it felt yeah. more Blue Jays, then it could maybe work – I, there I was a year some, somebody tweeted at me a picture of Ari Dickey in one where they wore the, the the white panel hat with the big red flag with with the blue and like the blue belt. There was some blue trim on it. They've gone away from that. It's just like I mean, look around the stadium. It's just it's all blue. It's all you just you're just clashing with the the whole aesthetic of everything you're doing. Like that the whole franchise except for the you know dark the the, the black uh, jersey period and the the. The whatever the toothpaste tea, though some people who are younger than me are nostalgic for that, which you know I guess I can understand. Uh, but it just it just I don't know. Look, I'm not begrudging because uh, I know there are people that really love the red jerseys. I'm not begrudging anybody for you know what their what their aesthetic choices there. I, <laughs> certainly mine are not unassailable. Anyone who's ever met me would know that. But uh, <laughs> but yeah, it just it just it just uh, it just seems unnecessary, and it's it, it's it, you know. And it's not, it doesn't even feel like it's, like, it's not that camo, like, cynical, like, 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 ultra, ultra cynical, like, well, we're just, we're just trying to move some units thing. Like, I think they seem to, like, it really is kind of a, a part of the Blue Jays culture now is that, oh, we wear the red on again. And it's just like, you don't have to, you just, you don't have to, you don't have to. You could do it in another way. I don't know. And I, I don't know if they've really moved a lot of those jerseys. You don't. You don't see a lot of people walking around in the red Blue Jays jerseys. You so. see some. You see some though. Which uh, God it's love. Not none. It's not none. But yeah. I, I don't know. Is it enough? I mean, I've never been of the belief that it matters what jerseys they wear in terms of performance, wins and losses. Like I know there's been theories on the gray jerseys over time and what their records in that are. Uh, and I, I don't really mess around with that kind of stuff, but. In terms of the quality of the visual product, like <laughs> Stoughton, uh, I'm not someone whose sense of style is envied by the masses. So, again, I'm not the the ultimate oh. decision maker on it. But I will say that I personally think they look like trash. 
uh, <laughs> if they stopped wearing them, that would be cool. I would be okay with that. And yeah, I say this coming from like I'm a soccer fan, and and like I don't know every every team every year has a you know a, a clash strip that is that is just a, a wacky color and doesn't make any sense to their history or what their brand you know. And it is it is a cynical way to sell sell jerseys. Somehow that works better for me. Like you know, uh, you know. Uh, Manchester City wearing pink or, or you know the factory records colors or whatever I, I can I, I could get behind that somehow even though that's not you know their traditional colors but and yet and yet the Blue Jays wearing red just just really yeah, doesn't look for me. Different culture. I, think <laughs> I can't also... believe we're talking about this for so long after a game like that and a series like this. Really, we we haven't really even touched on the other games. One one more thing, and then we'll move on. Sure. Uh, just, just I think that because soccer jerseys have the logos and stuff, I think you want it to there to be more variety and interest. Because if it was just here is the color blue and here is Corporation Y, uh, it would be a little bit less fun. So I understand part of why they do that, not just uh, for the money reasons. Like you said, there's some other stuff in this series to touch on or the last couple of days since we last spoke. So before we get out of here, there's two things. One, you know, we have a tradition on this podcast of uh, going in on a transaction. You know, if a transaction happens, we're not going to let that pass us by. Uh, I did want to mention the Ryan Baraki trade, not for the reason of them getting Tyler Keenan, because I think the likelihood of him being anything is uh, pretty damn slim, to be honest. You know, corner bat with a who's old for his level and doesn't have great stats in the minors. That's not got a, that's got style. that's got Sistuli written all over it right there. Yeah, uh, it's not a profile that I personally go in for, but sure, whatever. I mean, they don't have a lot of corner bats in the system. That being said, Baraki's a bit of an interesting figure, and I think he deserves a little bit of a second. Um, sure, yeah. He's with the Blue Jays for a, a decade. Like He was drafted in the 2012 draft. Uh, he spent a long time uh, kind of fighting and clawing to the majors through a bunch of injuries. Finally came out the other side as this control and command, soft contact, uh, back of the rotation starter type with a really promising rookie year. And he looked like a guy that you could pencil into your rotation, yeah, for sort of years to come. And he wouldn't be your star, but he wouldn't be a problem. And he would save you spending $12 million on some random veteran to fill out the rotation. Like, there's a world where the Blue Jays never get Tanner Roark because Baruch <laughs> decent, right? Right, yeah. So... He looked like that player who is, you know, not sexy but incredibly useful. Um, not not sexy physically, like fairly good looking person. Okay. I don't want to be dismissive of him. Um, but then, you know, he reinvents himself as a totally different guy. Like as a reliever, he's the opposite. He's pure dynamic stuff. He's pretty big velocity from the left side. He's a sweeping slider that's really nasty. You can bury it in on right-handed hitters' feet. And that's the like when he was a starter, he was all fastball changeup, and it was like, is he ever going to develop a half decent breaking ball and be someone who misses bats? And then suddenly he was everything that he wasn't. Which we see guys go from starter to relief, and their stuff plays up. But this was, I think, even more dramatic than most guys who do that. And then he has this good twenty twenty, but it wasn't as good as it looked. Like he still no, walked like, a ton of guys. Like he had the nice ERA, and we we're all kind of impressed by the stuff but the reality was he hadn't really proven that much uh even though he got some pretty high leverage spots uh in part because they struggled with getting a good lefty and uh it, it i am a little bit saddened to see him kind of uh you know fade away for the blue jays over the last couple of years 
because he looked like someone who's going to be a part of their future, and then he looked like someone who had potential to be a pretty dynamic reliever, and he might still be for the Mar- like I understand the Mariners taking a shot on him because um, he's got interesting stuff if he can harness it, and he's harnessed it at certain points in his career. Uh, there is a real talent there, and it is interesting because he was one of the longest tenured members of the Blue Jays organization for a long time. Uh, and yeah, I think a, a kind of a relatively easy guy to root for. So it's it's a chapter, uh, a very minor chapter, but a chapter coming to a close for the Blue Jays. Yeah, no, I, I think you're 100 percent right. Obviously, like, and he was a guy. I mean, the injuries have been a bit tough on him, and maybe that's why you can't stop walking guys. Um, but I think you're right that the Mariners are, are are smart to to take a chance on him and to like and to pay like I mean I was going to say pay a premium but that's not you know Tyler Keenan what even what even his name is is not really a premium but uh, but yeah I, I do think that you're like when you mentioned 2020 it do, it felt better than when you go and look at the numbers you're like wait did he walk like six guys per nine or something like that you know I think there's I think Thomas Hatch and Anthony Kay are kind of the same the same kind of story where you're like oh those guys that was encouraging and they're gonna you know, they, they, those are real pieces. And, and then you, you look and you're like, wait, how did those overall numbers look? And I know it was all small sample and whatever, but, uh, but it, the stuff for Baraki especially uh, did seem dynamic and did seem like, okay, this is the, this, this could be a real weapon out of the bullpen. I know we're supposed to say, I don't think Dr. Internet is here, but I don't think we're supposed to say, uh, uh, you know, it's a weapon or maybe that's Spencer. I, I don't know. I, I can't keep my, my, my Jay's Twitter people straight, but, um, but yeah, the, the, the pieces are kind of there. You hope that the injuries, which have been way too often for him, unfortunately, are not you know what are are not something that is just making it physically impossible for him to be the kind of guy that that uh, that that you kind of hope he can and can see you know when you look at just the pure stuff. Uh, that could be a thing. That's well, he wouldn't be the first or the last. Um, but yeah, it is. It is it, you know twenty twelve draft that was. Uh, that that was a long time ago, um, and and he has been on you know, if not on the team on the radar and and on Jay's fans' minds, especially those like the like you and I, Nick, and uh, most you know people who are listening to this who are who are more attuned to like what's you know the depth of the entirety of the forty man roster and beyond, right? Uh, for a really long time, and uh, it did seem like he was going to work. You know, he had a really you know some a nice run starting and and. He, you know, in those halcyon days of 2019 or whatever, uh, when you know when they were doing their quick, their little rebuild, their little re- reset, whatever they want to call it, um, you know, it was easier to get hung up on guys where who you you know you see you see a kernel, you have so little that you see a kernel of something and somebody like that that you really uh, start pulling for them and 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 it is weird. He's he's the first of I'm afraid to say or probably you know speaking to Thomas Hatch and Anthony K like speak of of many guys who are probably you know, just going to not have, be able to keep their roster spot because they're just not worthy of a roster spot as this team is, you know, doing a better job developing guys and developing guys who can be traded for guys and being able to sign guys who can be more valuable and contribute more at the big league level. So you're going to see the, some of those guys that you really, you know, took a shine to in those years uh, end, up, end up, you know, falling by the wayside and going to worse teams, though, you know, the Mariners are fine enough uh and i do hope he does well like that that i think that that ballpark is a good spot for him the, that division's a good spot for him and uh you know sometimes fresh eyes even though we all love p walker and 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 uh you know whatever who whatever computers are are you know behind him uh you know running the organization's you know pitching uh, <laughs> pitching apparatus 
uh, you know, sometimes fresh eyes will help and, and maybe, maybe that, that'll be good for him because it, it wasn't working and it's too bad, but you know, the, the numbers against right-handed hitters this year was, were scary. Like he just, you could not use him against a right-handed hitter. And with the three batter rule there, he would have to face right-handers and that is, a, that is just untenable. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he'll be someone that I kind of keep a half eye on and half pull for, uh, going forward. We'll see what happens. Uh, he was always someone I also just, when I was around the team more, he was someone I enjoyed, uh, dealing with like a kind of a very sharp guy, sarcastic, good sense of humor. I once, uh, had a sit down video interview with him and I asked him if he'd rather fight, uh, Abraham Lincoln or box Abraham Lincoln or Floyd Mayweather with one hand behind his back. And he had a <laughs> thoughtful response to that. So, <laughs> uh, when someone will entertain my absolute nonsense, whether that's in a professional or personal setting, uh, that person becomes near and dear to my heart because not everyone will. So uh, you, no, you it, do get a sense that a lot of people around the team felt that about it. But also, I mean, do you have an answer to that question personally for you? Well, the reason I included Abraham Lincoln for him was because he's an Illinois guy, and I thought that I could play into it. Okay. Uh, I, I I'd give Lincoln the business, like you know. I think I think. I mean, he has been dead for like yeah, well, well, putting years. that aside. Okay. Yeah. Floyd, Floyd what do you mean alive, Lincoln? Okay. Yeah. Is still a professional, like one of the best ever. Very good with his feet. Like I feel like I wouldn't. I probably still wouldn't win. Um, you know, I, I've no, I have no boxing training. So. I will take my chances with Lincoln. I think. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to take my chance with Lincoln in a debate, uh, but in the boxing ring, all he's really got is length, and I, I think I could wear him down. Uh, I'll, have to, I'll debate circles around Lincoln. Nobody will understand what he's four score in seven years. Nobody understands what he's even saying. I think you have to win. split the audience. Half of it would be a 2022 <laughs> audience, and then half of it would be an 1860s audience. Cause, yeah, okay, that fair. makes it a little on your side. Okay. All right. This is the type of stuff neutral I site, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Neutral site. Yeah. Neutral site in the 1930s. Like, so <laughs> the difference. Uh, I'd be happy if this was the whole podcast, but I don't think that's what people are here for. Uh, if you are, let let me know. Like, give me feedback that you want more nonsense and more hypotheticals and more would you rather's because I'm happy to take it in that direction. But yeah. before we wrap today, I do think we got to talk a little bit about Jose Barrios. Yes. And that outing because. Sometimes, and we've mentioned this before, but sometimes a player will do something that's sort of beyond the realm of your understanding of what they might do. Like on every any given day, there's sort of a range of outcomes <laughs> that you can envision for any player. Like Vladdy could go 0 for 4, or he could hit four home runs. Obviously, hitting four home runs would be a crazy thing and to be an event and yada yada yada. But that I can imagine him doing that. Oh, I I would put on a I would put a bet that one day. I mean that you know that that's probably not great odds, but like yeah, well, I mean that it's entirely plausible. But Espinal's not going to. You know what I mean? Like I bet that Espinal is never going to hit four home runs a game. That's kind of beyond the realm of possibility. And when I watch uh, Barrios, like his ability to miss bats in that game was beyond the realm of what I thought was possible for him <laughs> yeah. right now. Like, if you told me someday he's going to strike out 13 batters, I'd say sure, because I've always assumed that he's going to get himself sorted out. But if you said he was going to do it, you know, this in the next few weeks. Or even <laughs> after season, after being garbage for two months? Yeah. Yeah, it was uh, it was shocking to see. And, and, you know, it's a great sign for the Blue Jays. That, you know, if he's going, sort of three-fifths of the rotation is really damn good. And, uh, you know, that that's a good platform to build upon. But, you know, I, I really liked and, you know, you can get drawn in a little bit too much to the pitching ninja overlays and whatnot. 
Uh, but I oh, yeah. really that was, that was a tasty one, one. Yeah. on that, on the two seam and the, you know, the breaking ball and the, the curve way they work against each other. Yeah. And that was really interesting to me because he has used his sinker less this season. Like he's focused on that four seam fastball, which again, like we talked, I said, Gosman's fastball isn't that great. You know, Barrios is kind of similar. Like his four seamer isn't that great. It's sort of a functional pitch to get strikes, uh, surprise people with the elevation once in a while, but it, it's not an amazing pitch. And I'm not saying that the sinker is, um, but it was interesting to see him lean a little bit back more into that pitch. And maybe uh, it's worth, you know, the breaking ball is working off that a little bit better than the fat, than the four seamer, which makes sense because it, it's a very horizontal breaking ball. Whereas his four seamer is, you know, is pretty straight. So if he had a 12 to six curve, that would tunnel nicely, but the sort of straight fastball and then the slurvy breaking ball uh, isn't the most natural fit together. Yeah, I, I think that makes sense. So also, I mean, and I, I'm sort of halfway through a post about the, the whole weekend, but also uh, he was just locating it better. Like the fastball in particular, like like if you look at what he where where his fastballs this year have been, catching a lot of the plate, and then uh, and then on Saturday uh, it was not. Was uh, was was pretty was pretty good on the black and and you know where where you wanted to be the curveball was not catching the plate at all it was nice you know low and way to uh, to right handed hitters um, and having that you know having the, the ability to locate that well adds to the you know what you could do with the splitter or whatever the the, the two seamer or whatever whatever we're calling that one um, and then yeah you know, the whole package together. That's, I mean, that's uh, as ideal, apart from the first, like, two of the first three batters, that's like the platonic ideal of a Jose Barrios start, except it's also, like you said, off the top, like, beyond sort of comprehension that that he could be as bad as he's been so far, uh, and then just pull a 13-strikeout career-high game with, like, a ton of, of, of whiffs uh, just out of his back pocket like that. Yeah, I mean, if you told me, oh, he's going to go seven innings and give up a couple of runs, like, that would have been believable to me. But telling me that he's going to miss bats in this way, like, that's truly outstanding. And, it, you know, it'll be interesting to see what he does in his next outing. It's always tempting to have this one event happen and then be like, oh, okay, this guy's on track now. And we've had starts and stops with Vladdy this season, for instance, where it's like, oh, he's figured it out. And then not really. And that may be the case with Barrios, but... In terms of a singular it gets to face start, the Tigers, I think in the next one, right? So that yeah. that, that can't hurt. If you choose one start, like you can't have a more encouraging start than that. I guess like the first couple of batters, that first inning was rough, but uh, I'll take that rough first inning a million times out of a million to see what else he had in that game, as opposed to seven shutout innings where he gets four strikeouts and they play great defense behind him. Yeah, uh, no, absolutely. Because um, that's just—I mean—it's just not his game. It's. Uh... You know, uh, not a, not usually a strikeout per nine, you know, strikeout per inning kind of guy. Um, and here you go. Here's 13 and in seven innings. It's uh, uh, if he wants to do that more often, I'm I'm all for it. Okay, I think we can kind of wrap it there. A couple of housekeeping things. Um, I guess if you're hearing this now, then the maybe the RS feed ends up getting fixed. But we had an issue with it last week where people weren't able to listen after the fact. Uh, Colin knows this is an issue. Uh, I don't know how it's being addressed, but my assumption is that it's being addressed and that uh, the previous episode will pop up at some point if you want to go back and revisit it. Uh, this week coming up, uh, we haven't announced this, but I think Stone, hopefully you're comfortable with me saying that we're going to go, it looks like we're going to do a Tuesday after the game and we're going to do a Thursday off day episode 
uh, as well. And any other housekeeping? No, I think that's good. Well, well, we have, we'll have a guest on Thursday as well. Yeah, I don't want to reveal that yet, but yeah, we're going to have a guest on Thursday. Um, someone who I think you guys all know and are going to like. Uh, it's going to be have a lot of fun to have them on. And so, yeah, we will see you then. We appreciate you guys tuning in live and people are catching us afterwards when that all gets fixed. Uh, we appreciate you as well. Indeed we do. Thanks, everybody. Talk to you soon. Tuesday.